0: Welcome to the Spit It Out podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Avi Robbins. We're bringing you engaging discussions with thought leaders from academia and industry as we explore everything from what's in your saliva to why it's a good indicator of your overall health. Join us as we raise awareness around what saliva can tell us, why it's important for the future of healthcare, and what some really awesome people are doing about it today. In today's episode, we will be talking about saliva diagnostics research and we'll be joined by Dr. David Wong. Dr. Wong is the Felix and Mildred Yip Endowed Chair in Dentistry and a professor in the section of Biosystems and Function in the Division of Oral and Systemic Health Sciences. He is the director of UCLA Center for Oral Head and Neck Research and an active scientist in oral cancer and saliva diagnostics research. Dr. Wong has authored over 305 peer reviewed scientific publications and is a fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences and a past member of the ADA Council of Scientific Affairs and the past president of the American Association of Dental Research. Welcome, Dr. Wong. You clearly have spent a lot of time studying saliva and making critical discoveries in the oral health space. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us today.
1: Thank you, Avi. Good to be here and uh, looking forward to uh, share time with the, with the audience. Uh, thank you all for coming in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really excited to dive into the details of saliva as a diagnostic sample type today. I think that would be a great thing to uncover. you know, talking about some of the leading applications. But before we jump in, maybe you can give the audience a little bit better idea of how you got interested in oral biology in the first place.
1: So historically, that could... Possibly begin by the fact that I went through dental school training in Canada, Vancouver British Columbia. And perhaps the defining moment is, is that after dental school, instead of having a practice and uh, tending to patients, I decide to go to graduate school. Okay. And so when I applied to graduate school and I went to Boston, I went to Harvard, and, and there was a defining moment there as well, uh, Abby, and that was in the mid-80s, and that was a year when the first human cancer gene was discovered, and I felt that I know how to draw a tooth, I know how to do a denture, but <laughs> scientists could go into a cancer cell and amount a thousand and thousands of genes, that could put their hands onto that that version of the cancer cell that can turn a normal cell into cancer. So I thought that is just so amazing. If I could acquire the skill set, knowledge base, and apply it to dentistry, and that's what I. In the doing and continue to to do to this day, and oral biology represent a segment of dentistry that is scientifically driven and and advancing into the rationale of of our profession, dentistry. So I went to graduate school in that particular discipline. Uh, Abby.
0: Oh, awesome! That makes a lot of sense, right? Um, I think it's a great way to apply that. You know, the earlier mm-hmm. study of dentistry and like and that mm-hmm. expertise in the head and neck area, right, into, mm-hmm. into science in, in order to continue the research in that field and make mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. bigger uh, discoveries. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd share a little bit of our story and how we came to be. I'm really a big fan of your work. When we first started the Porex Life Sciences Institute, we were interested in saliva because there's a lot mm-hmm. of macro trends going on in that diagnostic mm-hmm. space, like the push for at-home collection and minimally mm-hmm. invasive sample collection. And as we started to research saliva diagnostics mm-hmm. and better understand the needs and the technical challenges in the space, we came across mm-hmm. actually a lot of your publications. Mm-hmm. And so I was really excited to have you on the podcast because the mission of our podcast right, is very in line with, with the goals of your research. right. Our mission is to democratize saliva as a sample type, mm-hmm. right, to remove the technical barriers, to using it in commercial labs and automated workflows, to improve mm-hmm. the uh, effectiveness of leading diagnostics that want to use saliva. Um, And to evangelize its its accessibility, right, over some of the Mm -hmm. more routine sample types that people are used to Mm -hmm. giving, like blood or urine. And through this, we hope to improve the accessibility of healthcare overall Mm -hmm. to the millions of people who can't either afford it today or maybe afraid to go to the doctor because of the blood draw. As I was researching your publications earlier on, we came to understand that your laboratory has a stated goal of pioneering research in the usage of saliva as a diagnostic medium for early detection and monitoring of systemic diseases. right? So really using saliva to be a diagnostic device to be able to help people Mm -hmm. get better, possibly before they are even feeling the symptoms. And so maybe you can tell us a little bit about your lab and maybe a high-level biological view of why saliva can work to detect and monitor
1: these diseases. Avi, thanks for those thoughts and and sharing the vision of ProEx with with what what we do. you know, I think that vision was was anchor in what we, what my lab is doing or was doing almost two decades ago. And just a bit of short history here is when I moved to UCLA, the NIH initiated two initiatives. Okay. Which one is to decipher comprehensively all the proteins in saliva? Because prior to that, Abby, you know, there's very little known about what's in saliva. There are bugs. Sure. There, are, there, are sort of constituent, but nothing really could be utilized for diagnostic purpose so with the proteomic you know cataloging if you will, was the first diagnostic alphabet so three groups collectively and we were very fortunate to be part of those, those team. the other initiative Abby is to sort of have the academic community to build these tools that could be in a doctor's office a dentist's office that eventually could take a drop of saliva and monitor, her these diagnostic you know, constituents, if you will, for disease detection, oral disease, and particular to us, systemic disease, because if that capability of saliva and salivary gland could be that GPS, if you will, that could monitor and navigate where these diagnostic constituents coming from, that would be truly a holy grail. And now, almost a decade and a half later, liquid biopsy as we know it, the yeah. oral systemic connection is clearly there. So that's a very empowering thought. And I'm excited to share with you perhaps later today is how these are coming together. But most importantly, uh, Abby, these thoughts are, are very empowering. You know, you talk to a 40-year-old or talk to a 96-year-old and tell them that you can monitor, you know, health or, you know, life-threatening diseases in saliva, they all get it. Right. However, if the question were to be asked, is if you take this question outside the four walls of a school of dentistry and go to the school of medicine, which in your institution and mine is right next door, there's more skepticism than acceptability. And I guess I'm saying that only because the challenge, the task for us is to enable the you know the, the mechanistic underpinning how did it happen? We and others are beginning to do that. And that vision about having saliva to be able to detect systemic and, and oral diseases would only have his door fully open for us in our profession when that happens. You
0: know, why do you think there is that skepticism outside though, like as you mentioned, the, the walls of the, the dentistry building, because we come across that all the time. And I think there's a couple angles from my perspective, I really love to get your perspective. But from what I see, There's the scientific knowledge or or research that's available. So if you're trying to imagine what's a normal level for something in blood, very well understood the cause and and, and effect of that, and perhaps not as much so in saliva in all areas, in some areas much more than others. And so the one is this scientific evidence, right, that Mm -hmm. maybe isn't as well known, or maybe you can enlighten us there. But the other piece perhaps is the, the challenge of using it saliva as a tool, because it's automatically adulterated, right? People can put whatever they want in their mouth, a lot more challenging to put stuff into their blood. Mm-hmm. So perhaps you could talk to us about the challenges that you see and, and what are the steps that we need as a community of saliva evangelists need to be doing to accelerate the acceptance of this sample type.
1: So in our mind, there's always been one criterion, okay, And the utilization of saliva as a clinical fluid to the dental profession, to dentistry, is almost like a religion. they believe in it okay it just does oral systemic connection people with HIV you have hairy tongue because it's well it, it is But however, the mechanistic underpinning, as you said, it is totally lacking. Not totally, it is lacking. So there lies the skepticism. And if you were to submit a paper, a manuscript, a grant, and I mean, we're all evidence based profession right now and the lack of that. And I think that really is what is driving this concept forward. Now, with that being said, saliva is also plagued by social, cultural and behavioral pushbacks. You know, people think about saliva association in negative ways. People say things like, I spit on you, I spit on your grave. And and all these negativity are really social, cultural in origin, and there's no scientific merit to it. But I'll submit to you, Abby, that should the day come when a systemic disease, be it pancreatic cancer or lung cancer, be credibly scientifically foundationed, how it could be deciphered in saliva, that table will turn. Okay. And also, if the performance of utilizing saliva as would having a performance that would outperform other capability of detecting this entity, then the table will turn. And those are the criteria that would drive this. Do we need anything to replace blood chemistry? No. Right. Do you need to replace a glucomotive to monitor diabetes? No. But there are areas of, especially in the field of biomarker research, Abby. Okay. Okay, where even in blood, in urine and in syrups, they're not there. This is where saliva is playing a lot of catch up. But if we position the development in that particular landscape and develop the tools and technology, the proteome, the metabolome, the genome and the point of care technology, not only can we catch up, we could advance this ahead of the curve.
0: Yeah, and I think let's dive into that because I think there's you know, from what I understand, a lot of research going on there today, right, around liquid biopsy and cancer detection. Although mostly with blood, I, I know that there is a lot being done, especially in your lab, right, with you know, CT DNA or circulating tumor DNA. And I think you've made some breakthroughs that show how it can be accurate, maybe in lines with CT DNA or micro RNAs. You know, the interesting thing is a lot of our listeners have come to understand these terms, right? DNA and RNA mm-hmm, and PCR mm-hmm. due to COVID-19, really. Making sure making this part of the science world public, which I think is a fantastic thing, um, but then mm-hmm. but there are a lot of intricacies, so maybe you could start off by giving us a primer on what is c t dna and and microRNA and and then from there, I'd love to dive into some of your research that shows the possibilities of saliva with cancer detection
1: certainly, so c t DNA stands for circulating tumor DNA, and microRNA are microRNA per se, but they constitute we term the omics constituents that exist within our body in interstitial fluid, in circulation, and in saliva. And these are the constituents that are being captured and utilized for personalized medicine application to tailor treatment okay, to prognostic a disease outcome. So the point here is that, you know, we as a lab. It has a scope that addresses all of these constituents. Okay. But of all of these constituents, I, I said earlier, it is most important to scientifically credential how saliva could be utilized for early detection of diabetes or for a cancer. In our case, our first in-row is lung cancer and for good reason. However, the point here is that you know, as an academic lab, we need to focus, if we can credential this one systemic disease for early detection in saliva and reach its regulatory approval and reach a clinical deployment, the rest of the doors will open. Okay? Absolutely. That's where the skepticism needs to be allayed and alleviated. And so that's where we are. Back to circulating tumor DNA and microRNA, in particular, circulating tumor DNA, Abby, tumor cells in our body. They go over turnover, they go over cell death, they go over turnover, and in the process of doing so, they shed their genomic DNA. And as we know now, every human cancer cell have a genomic signature in their genome. It's like a fingerprint. Lung cancer has one, breast cancer has another one, oral cancer has another one. And when they shed these signature fragments, they come into blood and they come into the saliva. So that constitute the concept of liquid biopsy. You can access a tumor cell's genomic fingerprint by detecting these mutations in an individual that has developed that tumor in blood and in the saliva. See. So technology developed that and harnessing that allowed non-invasively. So you don't need to have asymptomatic individuals that say, oh, I, I develop a lump." and a bump, then you can detect these targets even prior to clinical manifestation, and that's the power. Yeah. early detection is the key.
0: And being able to, to understand, yes, you know, the diagnostic before even the symptoms come on, right? In early screening, and especially as you can imagine, in connection with a routine, let's say, dental visit, right, where Indeed. saliva is being swapped all the time <laughs> amongst clinician and patient. Indeed. You talk about then, you know, microbiome and proteome and all these these omics, right, coming together. Maybe if we take half a step back, a lot of that didn't exist for saliva, right? And there's an article published a while ago now, 2010, right, on in the Biomed Central, where you describe creating saliva ontology, right, in order to create this foundation for saliva research. Right. So maybe this is part of what we're talking about, to be able to build up the the scientific evidence for saliva. Can you tell me, you know, maybe more about that work, but but how far has it come today, right? And I think that probably relates to you know, how you've come to advance your work into liquid biopsy, but maybe as a background, that work on the Saliva genomics Database.
1: Sure, that's a good question. So when we and and a group at UCSF, Susan Fisher, and also at Scripps, John Yates, together, three groups, collectively, to comprehensively decipher the salary protein, all the protein in saliva. Part of that process was to develop a dictionary. Okay. The saliva ontology. And that's part of the, the, the scientific foundationing that needs to present itself in the public domain to our peers. And that was clearly done. So we, we took that initiative, our group here, reached out to group at the University of Buffalo and able that and now it's the public domain so the foundationing acceptability that puts saliva into the scientific you know domain and community is so essential it is so essential because otherwise you know when we started the engineering project is about 15 years ago we went to our brilliant engineer just down the hall <laughs> here not down the hall of their Clark campus. Sure. Yeah. These are National Academy members, right? like, okay, well, David, we'd love to do it with you. We'd with the develop these microelectrical mechanical devices. But they ask the question what's in saliva? <laughs> what's there, right? What's there? Okay. So what does it do? I mean, they take it for granted, you know? let alone the fact that if you develop these autoimmune disease or have radiation head and neck, you're dry. You can't even talk or even have right. a sandwich for lunch. So that scientific credential, it was so important and to do that. And now the fact that you and I are talking, the fact that your company is so excited and have this vision of carrying this out, is, I think, because some of examples, COVID does really, you know, put things into a certain perspective that saliva didn't have before in a very important and scientific way
0: yeah, we've definitely seen that right. Not just accelerating maybe the shift towards more convenient collection methods, but mm-hmm. just the fact that people understand more about the the choice they have on diagnostics, right? Would you rather have a nasal swab done or collect your saliva right and And our aim is to mm-hmm. make saliva more accessible and even easier right mm-hmm. and and hopefully overcome some of those stigmas with spitting and 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 all those things as well.
1: I look forward to that as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, but you mentioned, I think, an interesting thing, which was the biomarker research, right? And what's actually available in saliva. I think there's probably categories of things that are available in saliva. Can you give us a primer on how does it get there, right? How do you find these biomarkers in saliva and why are they showing up there?
1: So the presence of these personalized omics constituents in saliva... It's no different than their presence of these omics constituents in blood or any other body fluid. Okay. I think that's that's the best way to say it. Only because saliva isn't at the pedestal where <laughs> blood and urine is, they don't think it, gotcha. it, it has it. Things that end up in saliva, it's almost like, okay, it's like they dump it from somewhere. It's like a garbage can. <laughs> but it's not. Okay, Here's the exciting thing in the past 10 years one of the most important development is that as a cell sheds its constituents into interstitial fluid they're not shed in free forms they are captured in moieties known as extracellular vesicles okay they're like little vesicles that contain these omics constituents the microRNA the ctDna and these vesicles are like vehicles, and they would have a GPS to direct where am I going from, you know, today from Los Angeles to where are you, Ivy? Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> here in Atlanta. Atlanta, okay. We're driving there, but we have a GPS. Yeah. So these vehicles, am I driving a Ford? Am I driving a, a Toyota? These vehicles are now defined. We were part of the process to decipher that. Okay. So these constituents are now becoming the mechanism. We know that, you know, David is driving a Toyota license plate, this, with a GPS from Beverly Hills to Atlanta to, to visit AVI. This is how it occurred. When lung cancer developed, they shed these EGFR circulating tumor DNA. They are encapsulated in this EVs. And they are driven towards the salivary gland and other places in the body as well. And they show up in saliva. Let me ask this, t- this question in a slightly different way. In addition to them being showing up as biomarker in saliva, the underlying question: Why are they in saliva? Right. When they come into saliva, they are being swallowed. They're not being spitted out. Okay. They're mm-hmm. swallowed. They go down the esophagus. They go down the stomach. The GI tract. Where in the distal ileum, maybe. of our mucosal immunity is there. The prius patches that get associated with these EVs are the signaling molecules that inform our immune system. There's an infection going on in some part of the body. There's a tumor development. So launch an immune response to ward off these invading mechanisms or a tumor development. There's a biological rationale to it. As it happened, when they come into life, we can harness them as biomarkers okay
0: so your body is using it already right to understand it so we can intercept at least a portion of it and make the same determination right outside of the body you know i learn something new every day i'm not surprised right but that's fantastic further at least of my understanding of, of how that works
1: it really is it's very very exciting horizon It's a very exciting you know area for research and this is where i go back to where if dentistry could make a contribution towards biomedical research, you know, medical research. This is, yeah. This is where we should be excited about because it's an owl landscape, right? So <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We ought to be the experts here. And least it it's going it to be us. And if you look around, at this time anyway, how many sure. scientists, physicians will say, okay, I'm going to work on saliva. There are, but they're far and few in between. They're mostly working on blood and, and cerebrospinal fluid, rightfully so. Yeah. But that table can turn as well. If we demonstrate, and we, we are in the process and we will, that saliva is, a, is almost a better sample type, but it has better performance. And there are technology that can allow for it to be detected directly, non-invasively. And the holy grail is Abby, to have an intraoral device, an Apple okay. Watch in your mouth, mm-hmm. that can monitor 24-7, where two soda can worth of saliva being Pour into your oral cavity every day, right? And the first appearance of an EGFR circulating tumor DNA that shows up in saliva, it will light up a signal and inform that patient or the physician. Unfortunately, this person has had an earliest sign of non-small cell lung carcinoma, and wouldn't that be a good thing? <laughs> if you catch it at the first moment, it shed that. Okay, and we have technology that can monitor it twenty-four-seven a little device, a single graphing layer that can go on the lingual side of your tooth. Is that science fiction? It's not. It's perhaps three years away. We're working on this and perhaps others as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, that sounds incredible. Why don't we talk more about that, right? What is it that you've understood about this non-small cell you know, lung cancer and your ability to detect it, I think, very accurately in saliva, right? Having Indeed. better performance, I think you've demonstrated than in perhaps other mechanisms. Maybe you can share more about that with us.
1: Sure. So in this era, or in this landscape of liquid biopsy, is utilizing these circulating tumor DNA that we mentioned earlier, the best example, if you will, is non-small cell lung carcinoma, which is the most common human tumor and the major subtype of lung cancer. The reason that is important, because 20% of patients with non-small cell lung carcinoma in Western country, North America, Europe, have this mutation. In Asia, patient with non-small cell lung carcinoma, 50% or even 60% would have this mutation. Wow. Okay? And that is the most frequent mutations that you can detect is tumour. DNA. The point there is that these targets are, are shed by non-small cell lung carcinoma. If there's a, a way to detect them in blood or in saliva, you would be able to detect this disease. It's a pathognomonic target. Meaning, if you have it, unfortunately, Mrs. Jones, you have non-small cell lung carcinoma. Okay, so the ability to detect it is so advantageous. You can do it in blood, let alone in saliva. And so there lies the the excitement. Now that being said, the circulating tumor DNA has cumulative, you know, ability to detect non-small cell lung carcinoma up to fifty-two percent. Not 100%, but it's still the best case scenario. Okay. However, there's still 48% that you will miss using this approach. The point here is that what we're excited about is through the use of saliva as a biofluid, we have just recently, Avi, recently, literally four months ago, discovered another landscape of circulating DNA in saliva and in blood that will complement these conventional circulating free DNA that we are very encouraged that they will augment right. and increase their sensitivity. So that's what we we're truly looking forward to. And first of all, lung cancer and soon perhaps other major really cancer without early detection capability.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine how impactful that could be, right? To With such a non-invasive sample to be able to understand at the earliest moment, right? When you need to go diagnose, right? There's other things out there, right? That, let's say colon cancer, right? Where you can do colonoscopy, right? It's fairly invasive, but probably worth it, right? To understand the risk ahead of time. But can you imagine to be able to detect something like lung cancer, right? With just saliva. And I think you're doing more than imagining it, right? Which Which is what's fantastic and incredible, right? How far you're coming. And maybe you kind of hit my next question, which is, you know, some of the the future research that you've been looking at, right, it, it looks like augmenting, right, what you've already discovered with the circulating tumor DNA for lung cancer. What else is going on in saliva research out there today? Maybe it's in your lab. Maybe it's elsewhere. What are some of the kind of cutting-edge discoveries that people are making, and what do you see people focusing on next?
1: So I personally see or hope that two development will, will happen concurrently, but importantly. One is the scientific credentialing sure there's no substitute for that okay so a religion is good but <laughs> it goes so far okay and you and I know it outside these four walls our colleague would say well show me how it happened okay I just don't believe it I think that's the best you know way I can put it but that's happening the vehicles that convey these targets are beginning to reveal themselves okay and new roadmap is being deciphered and acceptability is beginning to fall in place, which is important. Secondly is industrial development. Clearly, it's happening. COVID really amplifies that, okay? So, but there are engagement by industry that's beginning to look at, well, if it does so much for COVID-19, you know, what else can it do? It's beginning to hit that radar that industry is looking at, and you and I are very much aware of that. is happening as we speak in, in a good way. Right. But I continue to really advocate the need to credential scientifically, because otherwise you can have a periodontal pathogen test that will go so far. You can have, you know, twenty thousand dentists using it, but it's not even LDT, let alone FDA approval. And most importantly, if, if it's not reaching those levels of regulatory evaluation, how good is it? Right. Is it just a buzz? But if it's, it's fully credentialed, it will go so, so much farther, longer, and the to our profession really, really is. And uh, yeah, so those yeah. two developments, I'm truly excited about it.
0: You know, you mentioned it, an interesting point that COVID is bringing a lot more industrial interest in this area, right, in saliva, right, because it's obviously solves a lot of problems to going and getting blood from someone at their mm-hmm. house, right, as an example. I imagine that in turn will you know, fund more research to provide more scientific evidence. What can we be doing, right, to help build that scientific evidence? Are there other things that we can be doing? Or is it just taking the effort to try to bring these diagnostics through the system that exists today, right, FDA regulation
1: you mentioned? I guess when you say we, you mean the industrial sector.
0: Yeah, anyone listening that has an interest, right? Oh. What can anyone be doing? Let's start with the industrial sector, and and perhaps there's a different approach you'd take for other folks, but...
1: The industrial sector are just so amazing in in their way to assess and calculate the market in terms of the marketing. Okay, so and I think that's they do it very well. What I only say is that as you assess okay. a certain adoption of a technology or an applications, it's not the buzz. It's not the okay. I, well, you can monitor well in saliva. Okay. I mean, the question goes deeper than that, because if it's just a sort of trend, our medical colleague will never adopt it, will Mm -hmm, never practice it. So I I think the, the having that cognizant, having a scientific assessment at the same time, but also that scientific assessment need to be an insightful one. Okay. Not one of those, as I call it, the apostle within this religion to simply believe in it. Okay. You need to see well, what kind of validation data? Have they come up with this study prospective? You know, have you gone through a regulatory evaluation? Because that's the minimum you need to ask. Because you never adopt a test or market one that hasn't gone through those levels of, of evaluation. And uh, But if those are there, and uh, the industry teams can do an amazing thing, their marketing assessment, their distribution channel. And if it's good, right? right? I mean, if it's good, who doesn't want it? Really? It, it goes back to that question: like a four-year, ninety-four-year, old they get it, they do, okay. And that's oh, the exciting no. future yeah. that we look at. Exciting, it really is. It's mm-hmm. a
0: great insight. What else? What What are we missing? What What are the other awesome things that people should know about saliva or, or the work that you are doing today that, that maybe I forgot to ask you?
1: It needs more people like you, Abby, and advocate. You know the development, the the scientific credentialing. We need. We need funding agency to to sort of be cognizant of of its capability. But this is happening. Yeah. If it means anything that the National Cancer Institute funded six groups in liquid biopsy, okay? And uh, two groups at Harvard, Yale, Hopkins, we're one group on the on the West Coast and and perhaps we're a group that that brings saliva into the picture here. It's a privilege, it's an honor to, to work with all these folks, but also we are in a position that could dialogue cross-talk with with this leadership and also the federal funding agency. I mean that's the NCI that's driving this portfolio and we could sort of really capitalize on on this on this capability and really advancing it towards clinical deployment and regulatory approval. I think that's uh, that would be really good. And I mean, it will probably in the next three to five years, okay?
0: No, that's a great to understand. Um, and certainly, I think brings a lot of optimism, right, in, the, in that window. I definitely see more interest, right, just in the few years that we've been involved in it, mm. and um, you know, meeting a lot of great advocates, right, and people that are doing a lot of great work, like yourself. Um, look, I really appreciate you coming on on with me today. Um, I think we all have a much better idea of the importance of saliva as a sample type, uh, but not just why, but how, right? Which is which I think is so interesting, and it was great diving into the science behind it and cutting-edge research that you're doing to further the impact of saliva. And for everyone that's listening, I I hope you can appreciate more of the power of the liquid that's inside your mouth, right? And if you want to to learn more about Dr. Wong's uh, fantastic work, we'll post a link uh, to his lab's website in the episode's show notes, which you can find on our site, www spititoutpodcast.com. Thanks for listening to the Spit It Out podcast. I'm your host, Avi Robbins. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on our journey to raise awareness about saliva diagnostics, the future of healthcare, and hear stories from some really awesome industry and academic leaders.